Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seattle Seahawks are NFC West champions. And since returning to the NFC West in 2002, the Seahawks have not gone more than three seasons without being crowned division champs. So it feels extra special to get that win against the Los Angeles Rams. Well, for that reason and for a variety of reasons. And joining me here to talk about it is former managing editor of Field Goals. He's John Morgan, contributor to Field Goals as well. John, NFC West champions. Woo! I know. It's so exciting. I'm thrilled, especially since it's been such a fun season and it looked like it was unraveling and they changed their identity. They, they found themselves. They beat the Rams, which are, the, of course, the team they have to beat. Uh, and they beat them with defense and they beat them with special teams. And uh, since the both, the you know, the lucky fumbles both went the Rams way, I think they beat them pretty soundly. Uh, and I'm pretty excited because I think the offense could still bounce back. I mean, that was an incredible defense. I think Wilson had, uh, you know, it was a quiet day, but an effective day. And he limited the damage when things went wrong. So I'm just thrilled this could be. I think this is a real contender. I think this is I think they've been building for seasons now and they've arrived. And uh, with everyone kind of getting ready at the right time. I, I'm just thrilled. I just think this is a, I, I couldn't be more excited. I, I think I'm going to party tonight. I'm so excited. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it, John. Yeah. It's back-to-back <laughs> years that the Seahawks have had a chance to lock up the division at home. Last year, they weren't able to get it done against the 49ers, but it came down to the final moments. This time, they're able to get it done against the Rams and in a manner that is, like you said, it was relatively dominant because this could have even been more out of reach for the Rams had you know, the fumble luck had gone the Seahawks way. And I, I don't even know how that it didn't go their way on that special teams return with Lyndon Stevens falling on it and and Demontre Moore right there, too. But, yeah, it's uh, they're able to get the win 20 to nine and just they win handily over this Rams team. Yes, they did. Uh, you know, they beat them in all three phases. Uh, they I think that even though the offense was pretty subdued, I think that it was actually a really impressive showing. I didn't love their balance, but I'm going to keep saying that until they they start showing a little more willingness to throw or rather run on back-to-back downs, but that's okay. You know, I thought I heard just the slightest bit of impatience from Carson during the press conference when they were asking if he was fresh or not. He said, hey, you can give me 18 or more carries and I'm still going to be fresh. I'll run it 30 times and be fresh. So, I mean, I, I think that you have a team that is not going to fall apart because any one unit is carrying the team. I think they're going to be competitive with anyone they face. I think that personally, I think they have the best quarterback and the best quarterback situation in the NFC. I know a lot of people will think that um, disparaging Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, of course, fantastic, but uh, you know, I just think Russell Wilson's better. I know that's an odd thing to say on a game like this. You're supposed to really hype the guy after he throws a million touchdowns, but I saw a quarterback who was fighting so much adversity and had so many free pass rushers in the backfield and was really struggling with a game plan that seemed a little off to start the game, frankly. And he just, he kept himself composed. And when he threw that beautiful pass to Moore, I think that, you know, Moore deserves so much credit because that's a difficult catch. But the way that Wilson was moving to his right, and he threw that pass just so that it faded towards the sideline at the very last second and opened up that back shoulder window for Moore, I think that was just fantastic. And so I see a team that has everything that it takes to go as far as they want. And that's thrilling. And, uh, and hearing Adams talk about how much the communication has improved, you know, watching a lot of the all 22, you know, I try to, people think I'm probably too negative as is, but the fact is, is that they had some trouble and Adams was coming from a system 
that was very flashy, but he was not being asked to be nearly so reliable. And just having all these guys communicating and building chemistry and having that swagger back, I think that this defense can be, you know, he called it, Adam said that he thought they were the best uh, defense in the NFL, and that's a great attitude. The fact that it doesn't sound ridiculous from where we were so long ago, the fact that they, you know, they have an argument to be made that they are gelling at the right time and that they could they could beat anybody with their defense, that is just I, I'm I'm through the roof. I'm I'm so thrilled. I love seeing this team come together, uh, and so I'm just I'm just so excited. I am too, and I, I want to dig deeper on a lot of these things you mentioned. The the throw to David Moore, the yeah. defense, with Jamal Adams saying that you know that that they're the best in the NFL. Are are you satisfied with this win now over the Rams that the defense is legit? Because you look back over the last few opponents and, and going into this game, you say, yeah, okay, well, they played Washington, they played the Giants, they, they played the Jets. And you know that you can't really take that much away from that, even though I think for me uh, to go from as bad as they were to being a number one defense, even facing those teams, I, I felt like that was a huge leap because if they had just played average, if they were middle of the pack in terms of defenses up against those teams, then I think there is concern, but because they had they had made such a, a huge pendulum shift that you could you could point to that and say yes, this is real against those teams, and now it does feel like it's been legitimized. Yeah, I think that um, you know when you're facing one of the weaker teams in the NFL, especially a team that is got a lot of problems on offense, it doesn't seem like they even have coherence on offense. So it's either big play or nothing. There's always a chance to have a dominant effort because they can just be so out of sync or the, you know, the, the tough catches cannot be made or the, you know, the important tackles can have a uh, high situational value when it's, you know, it's really the difference between a yard or not this way or that. And so, yeah, it's in the NFL, there's always these wild variations of performance. Health is such a factor. Um, it's not, there's nothing so simplistic as like the batter pitcher interface. And so we're having completely different matchups every single week, the way they game plan, they're running specific plays, you know, and you even get crazy things like guys just falling down or tips going to the, you know, that bounce off one receiver's hands. It goes to another receiver. Sometimes it can be very difficult to say, how do we know exactly how good a defense is? But if you're just looking at the the, the nuts and bolts of what they're doing, um, just their ability to be really gap sound and assignment sound. And while I don't think anyone's going to mistake this pass rush for, you know, like the, the, the Giants team that beat the un- – beaten uh patriots or anything like that right they have that closer ability now they they when they have a lead seattle used to be in kind of a tough spot because they were essentially forcing the opposing offense to target their greatest weakness but now you see with dunlap and with adams back but i really think dunlap is the essential player here because he's that base pass rusher Mm -hmm. you don't have to do anything funny or take somebody out of coverage to get him going and just the way that he can pass rush without uh, you know, risking anything silly like breaking containment or um, flying to the outside so that the, if they do end up running it or running a screen that he's so far out of position that it ends up being a bad move. The way that he can be so solid and yet that he can still just keep driving and driving and tearing through guys and getting those long, slow hustle hits and sacks. I mean, that has completely transformed the defense because you've got a bunch of guys who are really, they're, they're really above average. You know, they're above average run defenders. They're, they've got some they've got some hustle and they've got some spirit and they've got some juice as pass rushers, but they weren't going to be able to do it by themselves because a whole bunch of above average guys in the NFL, that often kind of looks like a bad team because you need some sort of superstar catalyst. And now you've got this team 
that's got multiple guys who are making plays, and then you've got the rest of the team, and they're not screwing up at all. They're they're just holding down fort. They're holding their assignment. They're keeping their gap. And so I believe in this defense. Uh, it's impossible to know how they're going to perform next week. I mean, that's just the God's honest truth. <laughs> but when you're facing a weak team, all you can do is beat them. And sure, you can make the same kind of hypothetical excuses for the Rams. Uh, Goff looks really off. Um, sure. I, I think McVay's lost a lot of confidence in him, and that creates some internal discord where, you know, the last thing you want is your offensive-minded head coach to be frustrated or feel like he has to hide his quarterback. And so there's all these ways to explain away what Seattle's doing. But right now, I don't buy it. I like the swagger. You can only beat the opponent you have. And, you know, they might get tested. And I don't know that they're going to just, like, steamroll a good offense. The offense, is Seahawks offense is going to have to be more dynamic. But that's the nature of things. You know, they faced a really good defense today, the Seahawks offense did. Uh, and they did okay. And then the they faced a decent offense. It doesn't always look that way. But they did face a decent offense, and they crushed them. Right. And that's the kind of balance where either side can pick up the other. So I think that I believe in this defense, and I believe in this offense, and I think it has hidden potential. The defense has allowed just over 12 points per game over the last five games now. There were a couple of huge kind of turning points in this game. And I go back to that third and short where the Rams are on the goal line. And you talk about the swagger that this team has. They're able to you hardly ever see a quarterback stood up when it's a third and just inches. Almost always you see the quarterback able to get in the end zone. The Seahawks able to stand up. Jared Goff knock the ball loose. Uh, There was some concern over Pete Carroll challenging that particular play. But uh, (laughs) listening to him in the press conference, it sounded like. In addition to taking the timeout with the t- with the challenge, you get a little bit longer of a timeout and maybe find something on video to turn the ball over, but ultimately able to get the fourth down stop as well. And John, I can't tell you, KJ Wright on that particular drive, the, the Seahawks had just scored a touchdown and the Rams are driving down the, the field and they keep running to the right side. And it's because of the tight end. And I think it was 82 uh, who was just he was given KJ a heck of a time all the way down the field. And so this time on the fourth down, they run KJ's way again and and KJ just blows up Higby to get in the backfield. Jordan Brooks is able to get the stop there. It was a huge moment for the defense. Yeah, he basically tackled him with Higby. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I mean, I love that. I, I think that I think that's pure football, you know, just like I would never call, um, you know, like I, I, I know that it's acceptable and it, it's probably accurate to call it fumble luck, but it's such pure football to just be the guy to win you know, the win, the scramble down there and end up with the ball. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things that you can never predict how it's going to happen next time. And yet it's like it's so much hustle and so much fire to actually get that ball. But it's exactly the same thing there. It's like Wright struggles sometimes, you know what I mean? But he is such a big, powerful, competent, giant guy on the edge to just set the edge so well. And every so often he just flashes just that that physical dominance because you're not facing – your typical outside linebacker right there. You're not facing a guy, you know, who's even a typical outside linebacker in a 3-4. You're talking about a guy who's almost like a defensive end. And the the way that he can sometimes just knock back guys and just uh, not just stonewall them, but actually kind of move them apart or move them back into the ball carrier, uh, that's just, you know, that's truly fantastic football. Uh, and it was – and. I think that you're seeing the realization of the potential of this run defense because you've got so many guys who have the ability and they need to be working. They need to be well-coordinated, but but they're starting to get there. And because 
of the speed Adams has, the speed Brooks has. You've got Wright and Wagner, who are just pure technicians, incredibly powerful, big players who just are incredibly strong in the phone booth, incredibly dominant between the tackles as far as shedding blockers, as far as finding the ball carrier and making a good play, as far as standing up the ball carrier on initial contact. Uh, you have the makings of this run, great run defense, and that's going to become even more significant as we get into the playoffs and games start getting played in weather and it's going to be harder to pass the ball. And so I don't know, you know, every when we determine how good, when we look back and say how good was a defense, we have the problem of only seeing what they could have done in the situation. We don't have some sort of like objective criteria where we'd say, oh, you know, they, they absolutely certainly are good in all these ways. And so each week they're going to have to raise, rise to the occasion. You know, I mean, Adams has set the mark now. And so I hope that, I mean, they're already so fired up. It's certainly not a unit that seems like it needs to be motivated in any sort of way, but, but maintaining that really yeah. living up to what he's saying right there. And you've got a championship contender that I don't think should be considered an underdog against anybody. Well, I can tell you want to talk some more about Jamal Adams because one of the things in this game, you know, he had the opportunity to get uh, double-digit sacks in this game. We didn't see him blitz a whole lot, but we saw a lot of Jamal Adams in this game, and a lot of it in coverage, too. He led the team with eight tackles on the day, and I thought we saw more of him just in the secondary this time than, than really that I felt like we've seen him all season. Yeah, I think we saw him making plays. He was making solid plays. Right. Uh, Adams has been a little bit feast of famine, and that's... He did not have the one drop. With... I know people are going to crush him for that, but he's got broken fingers. But and, and yeah, I don't I know, think he's I mean, very a very good catcher of the football anyway. I was going to yell. I, I mean, I mean, I was yelling. I mean, my <laughs> wife was home, and so I was a little less. You know, I'm often kind of quiet, exchanging emails with Mookie and stuff like that. But my wife is home, and I got to really kind of you know let the fan out. And so I, I'm not going to lie. I wanted him to pick that. And uh, I want him to become a guy who can pick passes. I mean, I think he wants that 100% too. But that's it, it's not necessary for him to be a dominant player. He just needs to be solid in coverage. He just needs to be where he's, you know, where he's supposed to be. And he showed up there. And when you mix the, the, the flashy plays, he's, he's so talented. When you're watching him play with the other defenders, he's just moving at that different speed when you, that you can see with those really special talents who's just got that that twitchiness, that suddenness, that, uh, you know, the, the ability to translate those combine numbers into actual play where it's, it's just madness all around them. People are getting hurt. People are getting hit. It's, you know, it's like, it'd be hard to be rational in a situation where people are, could smash your legs or smash your head at any second. Yet he is so game and he's so in the moment. And so he, he's always going to be able to give you those, those splash plays, the superstar plays, you know, but what he's doing when he's not doing that has been the difference between, him and being really one of the best safety, the best possibly safety, you know, strong safety in the league. And so just seeing him there, seeing him get that bracket coverage with Diggs. I love Quandre Diggs. You know, he's like, uh, you know, he's like the head of the Voltron this defense creates to, to crib something from Method Man. But he is like, you can just, you, you don't even notice him until he's doing something awesome. And he he's so good and willing to get down there and to really press things in the run. And he's so solid in the middle. It's It's funny how infrequently you see him after a long reception or something like that. And so I think that they've got something. I I, I love that Reed is now the corner, uh, you know, who's taken over Flowers. You know, I, I, I have a big heart for Flowers, and uh, I want him to make it in some way. But he was just a liability, and Reed is not that. And it's funny what happens when you start 
replacing those weakest links in the chains with solid contributors and how much better things can get. And so I, I yeah, I mean, Adams is a guy who give you splash plays. He can give you those kind of turnovers that can massively shift the win probability. Uh, but seeing him be just a regular, steady contributor, that was like one of my favorite moments of the whole game. Well, one of my favorite moments in this game that I think is going to kind of go overlooked. And I guess Quandre Diggs was involved ultimately in it because the Rams on the fifth drive of the game, the defense gets a three and out. But Ryan Neal runs into the punter. Oh, man. And, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It keeps that drive alive and they're able to move down the field. Cup gets a third down and they get you know some back to back plays to, to get them on the Seahawks side of the field. And then you have Quandre Diggs coming up with the interception. And the, and the reason why I point out that drive is that, you know, just those those penalties that keep the defense on the field and that they're not able to respond. But, you know, part of that could be, like you were saying before, Jared Goff not being quite on his game, uh, overthrowing Robert Woods. But I, I think it it points to the mixture of of the corners being solid, uh, Quandre Diggs being on the field and the, the defense able to get that interception there and then turn it around and get three points to tie it up before halftime. Yeah. I mean, that Neil penalty, I mean, that hurt. Um, it's exactly, it's just like recovering the fumble. You can't say that it wasn't an active skill. And at the same time, what are you going to say to the player? I mean, he was so close to blocking it. You'd maybe want him to leap in such a way that he doesn't run into the plant leg, yeah. but I mean, dive, shoot, dive differently, Ryan, come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Contort yourself in air like Mario, so that you don't <laughs> land where you're, trajectory will say you land but you know it's you're right they they were in this moment where it's like hey we did right and then we got a really bad break and how are we going to respond to that and uh you know i i don't want to i don't want to ever talk about exactly what the intentions or the motivations or the attitude at least of the individual players because i don't i think all these guys are fighting their hearts out and i think that People, you know, from the sidelines often think like the, twi- uh, the, the Twitter crowd, the, the Twitter audience, they think like the Jets have uh, hurt themselves by winning a game. And I just I can't stand that kind of logic. I think that it, it, it flies in the face of just like the whole spirit of what is happening to, to think that you should strategically lose a game. Um, and so I think that every single one of these guys is always trying. But there is kind of a, a, a vibe of the whole unit. How do they respond to that? Did they say, hey, this is just one more opportunity to assert ourselves and to turn the game, you know, and to make some splash plays? Or do they say, hey, you know, they get that kind of resignation. They start to get that kind of passive on their heels kind of play like the penalties are going to keep going against us and that eventually we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to start to fall apart because we're just going to be given so many opportunities to potentially make a mistake. And of course, well, that golf interception is completely unacceptable by him. And it's exactly the kind of um, extremely damaging isolated plays that have really been so defining of his decline. Uh, At the same time, stuff like that is often the product of all those little stops to get them into that kind of down and distance where they feel desperate and they feel like they have to do something that's beyond their ability. And when someone's really pressing and they're not playing within their game anymore, that sort of sloppy stuff is going to happen. Right. And uh, I, I just digs. I just love digs. I love that when I see digs, it's almost always because something good's happening. Um, I just think that he is one of those guys that he's just, he's, I, I, I think of him as sage when I see him in the press conference, he's kind of an old soul. He's got that cold, you know, that, that real calm, chill, you know, kind of like wisdom all the way down to his bones perspective. And he's such a he's such a cool, calming force, exactly the position where you need something like that, because his job is all about 
giving his defense another chance to step up and make a play. And the fact that he also makes plays, he's just he's one of my favorite players on this team. I was so happy to see him go to the Pro Bowl. That's well deserved. And uh, yeah, I think I think that when you try to rate a defense or really a team in general, you face this really big problem of players have been added, schemes have been changed, guys have begun to work together. And I've seen in the past huge changes in performance midseason because of injuries or because of guys getting healthy or because of a team figuring out some sort of scheme that seems to be generally effective. Uh, and I just think this defense has incredible potential. You look at the talent, you look at the young guys who are, you know, who are doing good. I, I mean, Puna, mm-hmm. Puna, you know, I feel like <laughs> I was so slow to come to the, to the Puna fan club, but that guy is a great gapping defensive tackle. Uh, and I'm just, I just think that it's, it's, you know, the offense could rebound. The offense is going to have easier matchups. They're playing complementary football. I think the special teams is filthy. And uh, and I'm just thrilled. I think the defense has, you know, I like it. Sometimes you've got you've to tell everybody what the standard you're setting for yourself and then just to force yourself to live up to it. So I hope that, uh, you know, Adams lit some fires under people's asses. Let's do it. Let's really be the best defensive football. All right, John. Well, you said something interesting within that answer that I want to go back to because you said you don't want to judge the motivation of different players. There was a point in this game where officials were forced to judge the motivation of one player for the Rams. And we're going to talk about that along with the Seahawks offense coming up next. Talking to John Morgan, former managing editor and current contributor to Field Goals. And we're talking about the Seahawks NFC West title winning game against the Rams. They win 20 to nine. And on the final drive, this was one of my favorite heads up plays by Bobby Wagner. Uh, And I'm curious at what you thought in this particular moment, because Josh Reynolds caught the ball from Jared Goff and he wasn't touched. And you see him get up and run the ball to the, you know, to place the ball for the officials. That was a fumble. (laughs) I said it absolutely (laughs) as it happened. That was a fumble because Reynolds made no point at all to try and take a knee at that. If he, if somebody would have knocked the ball out of his hands as he was getting up, they would have called it a fumble. Okay. So there was, but yet they would have won for the touchdown, right? They wouldn't have said, oh no, he gave himself up. Yeah. Because if he, if officials thought he had given himself up, they would have blown the whistle. There was no whistle. He places the ball on the ground. Bobby Wagner picks it up. And I I know that everybody watching that is, oh, well, he intended to give himself up. Okay, well, that was his intent, but he yeah. didn't do it. Yeah, I, you know, I I knew that they were gonna. I mean, let me let me temper what I say a little bit here. I was furious in a way. You know what I mean? My 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 phony furious that I get about football, but within the context of football, I was pretty, I was pretty ticked. I thought that he had gotten up on his own, clearly was not touched and put down the ball. And it's not much different than a guy running into the end zone and just dropping the ball behind him. Uh, It was just, it was just a boneheaded mistake. Um, I think that he thought he was automatically down because he had gone down. He had not given himself up, but he was just, he was just making the catch. Yeah, and but he didn't stay that, down. Usually when players give no. themselves up, they stay on the ground until the whistle's blown. Yes, and even though they were in time trouble, I don't think that you can just infer that he absolutely must have been giving himself up since he since he dropped the ball on the ground. But I think that sometimes the refs in the NFL want to do as little harm and seemingly be not credited for the outcome of the game as much as possible. Right. And the internal math there was, 
if this is a fumble with Wagner recovering, then the game is basically over. Right. And if we give them the ball, we certainly haven't made the Seahawks lose. It's just a gain. They got the gain fairly. Uh, it was a mistake, you would say. You know, I mean, it was just a mental error to put the ball down. It, it did not end up being a mental error because the because the officials decided what his intent was. But I guess I can accept that. Um, you I, know, you I, know what? I could accept it more, John, if they hadn't been so ticky tack about the DK Metcalf illegal shift penalty as he oh, was I just know. kind of rocking in his stance a little bit. It's not like he was, you know, moving toward uh, toward making a block or toward making a catch. He was just kind of rocking on his, you know, another mental lapse moment by DK, just not getting perfectly set. But the cool thing about this, the cool thing about this is all these little things that did not go Seattle's way without them necessarily doing anything wrong. And with it being very 50-50, so it's, you know, it's often just a decision being made or it's just the outcome of a mad scramble for a ball. Every single one of these things seemingly went against Seattle and they still won in dominant fashion. Yeah. And I think that when this team really hit the skids, like, you know, when the Bills basically humiliated them, I think that there was not a strong belief, at least among most fans, that this was even possible, that they could rebound so big. And really, I mean, look at this defense. This defense won the game, and the defense has won several games. And early in the season, we were talking about, would, would this defense set records for the most passing yards allowed in the season? Right. And so it's it's one of those games that I cared so much, and it had a it was relatively in the balance for long enough that I was so mad when things did not break for Seattle. But now that I can look back and they won, even with, with so many things seemingly going against them, and these were huge swings of momentum, huge swings of win probability. Uh, I just think it shows just how complete this team is and how, how really ready it is to be able to face off against any opponent and, and, and be able to counter or beat everything they do. You keep wanting to go back to the defense, John. We spent the whole first half of the show on that. We need to talk about Russell Wilson and the <laughs> offense here. The, the Seahawks put up 20 points. And I, I want to go to that David Moore play because I, that, I just thought that that was so huge. Russ being 0 for 3 on deep passes in the first half. He misses Hollister up the left sideline. You could argue that there was some defensive contact that really threw off the timing on that yeah. particular route as he was running down the sideline. You had Metcalf on the right sideline. You know, if Russ just gets a little bit more time in the pocket, maybe he can throw that a little bit more accurately. Then he has Lockett down the middle. He overthrows him on just such a deep throw to right toward the end of the first half. And so those were the three that I that I marked down in my notes as being big misses on deep passes. And so when he was able to hit that 45-yarder to David Moore, not only was that huge just in terms of finally hitting one of those deep throws, but it came on third and eight. And if he misses that, we are crushing Russell once again for not taking the easy first down run that was ahead of him. Yeah, he's in a tough place right now. Um, you know, when the season started, he was basically working as a pocket passer. And I think he's probably a little frustrated that the coaches said, hey, you know, we've got to kind of start moving back towards having a lot more running and a lot more play action built off that because I think that he wants to be a pocket passer. The skills of a pocket passer age well. He wants to be the greatest ever. I, I support him in that because that's, you know, hey, oh, yeah. more wins for us. Um, and right now, I think that you see him often and he's in that moment where when he was, you know, in his early 20s, he's going to scramble like mad. He's going to draw on the underneath defense. and He's going to hit a guy, you know, who's improvising a route. And he doesn't really have that. I mean, I'm not saying that it's impossible for him, but especially against a team like L.A., 
who is not just scheming for the Seahawks, but also scheming for Kyler Murray in Arizona. They're going to have the exact right personnel and know how to anticipate what he's doing. And so it's a really especially tough matchup for him. And I do see him sometimes. He doesn't know exactly which way to go. He doesn't know if he should run. He doesn't know if he should go short. He doesn't know if he should go deep. And he sometimes will pass up a good you know, opportunity short because he wants to go deep. And on the one hand, it's like it's easy to armchair quarterback and say go short. On the flip side, you always want your quarterback constantly looking deep because that's where the most valuable passes are by far. Mm. And so I think that he's I think he's struggling right now. I think we're in the you know, the kind of the uh, the 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 post let Russ cook era here where they're trying to take what worked and they're also trying to get the run game back in. I really want to see the run game even more. I'm going to keep saying that <laughs> until I see the kind of ballast that I really expect. But I think he did well, and I think the offense on the whole did well. That is a fantastic LA defense. Depending on the measure that you use, you could say that they are the best or one of the best pass defenses in football. And so you have to adjust your expectations. Of course, you know there are times when offenses are so good that they can hang. 30, 40, even on those kind of defenses. Uh, but that's not typical, and especially when it's that, you know, it's like a team that has been built to stop you and a team like you, you know, it's going to be especially hard. But yeah, when he got out there and he just seemed to tap into that old magic where he said, hey, this guy's free. This is a dude that I trust. I've been building with this guy for years. I'm going to throw it and he's going to know where it's going to go. And I'm going to let him make that play. And And it's so cool because in the, in the short term, in a lot of ways, more gets that glory. And uh, and especially for a guy like Russell Wilson, I think, who, who's trying to prove something, not just through winning games, but I think he wants to be considered one of the very best. I think he wants every single year. I think he wants to be in discussion and not in a condescending way, but in a really like this guy is one of the best. He should be Hall of Fame bound. Uh, I think it could be hard sometimes to know exactly what to do because some of that desire to be a flashier, more explosive player, that is not just good for him. That's good for the team. But sometimes, especially earlier on when I think it was forced and there wasn't really the timing, it would get out of hand. And the deep passing game has always been like that. It's the, the hardest thing to execute. Uh, there's just simple you know, physics to it. It's the ball goes the furthest. It has the most chance to to go one way or another, there's the most chance for the receiver to lose the ball in flight or to adjust the route in a way that the quarterback doesn't anticipate. So I've always seen this with deep passing teams. They'll go through little slumps like this. Um, but just to, the ability to still be effective and still be able to cash in enough of those opportunities and win field position and give John, uh, I almost said John Ryan. Ooh, <laughs> sorry there, Dick. <laughs> Dixon, you know. It's been a little while. Oh, I know. I, You know, he's just. He has really stepped up his game. I am just so thrilled for the coverage. I can't unit. believe he didn't make the Pro Bowl. I cannot believe that Michael Dixon did not make the Pro Bowl. He could he could end up being All Pro, John, and not be in the Pro Bowl. Uh, well, I mean, there's no Pro Bowl, but but he could be All Pro and not named to the Pro Bowl. Yes, and I think it's crazy too because well, I I do know that you have to give some of the teams like the Lions, and I'm sorry, Lions fans. You know, I'm, I, I have a little <laughs> bit of love for the Lions because I watched them. Growing up, I mean, if it wasn't for Barry Sanders, I wouldn't be nearly so in football. And so I've always had some love for the Lions. I know they have it tough, but I know that some of that is almost mercy to give their punter, you know, a Pro Bowl <laughs> nod. But the fact is, is that losing teams tend to be able to generate more value through punting. And the cool thing about what Dixon is doing is that it flexes. So that if Seattle's the kind of team that can sustain drives and maybe not score, but at least get in, you know, get that kind of field position where they've where they've moved enough down the field. He can pin him within the 10. He can pin him within the five. And so he's become a fantastic punter. He seems like he's really found 
what he needs to do, and he's developed chemistry with his coverage units, and he knows how to angle those punts on the sidelines. So those guys are just screaming down, and you're not even getting returns oftentimes because it's such a you know low value proposition. You don't want to have a fumble for us. And so I'm just you know hey you know what he made the Pro Bowl before, and uh, and now he's a real superstar punter. He's really giving. I mean every single game. Yeah. He's giving Seattle so much hidden value, and I'm just thrilled for him. And he's fully justified the pick. You know, I'm always critical because it's, you know, it's you're really saying something when you draft a punter. You're saying that I know this guy's more valuable than the guy who's going to be available for free. But he's fully justified. Hey, this was a great day for Schneider. You know, all the little holes. Oh, absolutely. He's had. Yeah, D- you, DJ you know. Reed, him filling in the, the fifth round yes. pick for for Quandre Diggs. The gosh, the the pick for the, the trade for Jamal Adams, right? Yes. Yes. And I mean, Adams, it's, you know, Adams, I, I, I'm so ambivalent because that's so much value, you know, and, uh, and when you, when you add a superstar player, you're going to have to pay him eventually. And so the cap's probably going to be a mess, but the guy's great. And you don't want to be so much of a junior GM that you kind of lose sight of that. I mean, his superstar level play, his talent, his explosive, you know, fun driving all over the field, being just, you know, he's got so much swagger, so much vibe. He just is so much fun. He seems to, you know, he wants, he makes everyone want to just play so dang hard. And I think he's got some cool technical knowledge. I think between Puna and Adams, you both have two guys who are excellent anticipating the snap count. And I think that's one of those skills that's actually kind of transmissible to the other players because you can key off the guy who's good at anticipating the snap count. And so I just think that Schneider took a lot of big risk. He took a lot of big swings, you know, and he's always working. And, uh, and and in the past, I've been critical of some of the trades he's made, but this was this was a masterpiece. The way he patched that defense and the way that he filled those holes to, with not just players who are better than the guy that they're replacing, but guys who are, are merging. I mean, that is what more can you ask of a GM? I, he, you know, I, I 100 percent I sing his praises today. I think that he you know, hey, I, I'm going to slip this in on this wild tangent, but it's got me thinking about it because he's almost always in consideration for the executive of the year. I think Pete Carroll deserves really legitimate consideration for coach of the year. Absolutely, I think not only is the team good, not as only has the team really come together in a way that really shows good coaching, but he's also been so on top of the COVID stuff. He's done. He's had the exact right attitude where he's steely serious, but he's not, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't use any sort of scare tactics, but he's a hundred percent serious. I think that's so cool. I think it's such a good example. And he also, with all the voting right stuff, I just think that he has been the model for a great coach in the NFL this year. And I haven't heard his name put into consideration there. And I think he deserves lots of consideration. Oh, you, won't, you aren't going to hear it, John. You're just you're not going to hear it. I don't know why. But on the on a year where he's the NFC West title champion, as I said at the outset of the show, not uh, him con- being able to continue what Holmgren started and to not go yep. more than three seasons without the Seahawks winning a division title. That is huge. And then add on the the additional degree of difficulty of having COVID this year and the Seahawks not having a player test positive. I I think that all that needs to be considered. Recognize that, right? For those people voting, recognize that. I mean, show the right, send the right message. Is there another coach who's really standing out as clearly a better coach who's doing a better overall job, who's coordinating so many moving pieces, who's getting good play out of both sides? of his team who's weathered so many, you know, so, so many problems and yet really having the team peak at the right time and Seattle could still be a number one seed. I don't see any reason that he should not be in consideration. I, I, if I could vote, I would vote for him. I think it's about time. I think that maybe sometimes we get too 
fixated on some new guy, some novelty. We forget about this sustained excellence and we don't recognize it. And then, you know, it's too late. And so I think that for his sustained excellence, for his ability to handle COVID so effectively, for his ability to keep his team together, his ability to create a new core, you know, from, from a lot of disparate pieces, I think that you, you know, and, and hey, and specifically, I would say, too, he weathered a lot of people feeling like Norton should be fired, you know, and he 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 stood his ground. And while I'm not someone who necessarily feels like I'm a huge fan of Norton, the fact is, is that a lot of defensive performance is the players, you know, and Carroll's going to have a better idea of what he expects from Norton and whether he's doing that effectively or not. And so this is a this is a motivated team. They're not fighting with each other defense, even though there's a big personalities and some big personalities have only known each other for a little while i think that that you see carol's ability to 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 really keep a team together and he's so smart and so savvy with the modern player about how to hold people accountable but never embarrass someone in public um and i just think that he always falls on the sword when things don't go well i think he's a great coach i think he seems to be a uh, you know a good figure within the within the community and within Seattle, and so I, I hope that he at least gets some strong consideration. Ah, they'll probably give it to Arians or something dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Huh? But I want to go back. Uh, you know, you've talked a little bit and hinted at this, John, the the run pass balance for the Seahawks, and that's why I wanted to talk about the final scoring drive for the team because this was just huge to me. That this is something that we haven't seen a whole lot from this team this year, but. After the after the defense is able to hold the Rams, they get the ball back at the 20 yard line and there's seven and a half minutes on the clock. Still, they're able to drive down the field and a good mix of passing the ball, running the football. I did. I did feel like when they started running with Penny as they got down to the the 30 (laughs) yard line, it kind of took the momentum out of the drive a little bit. Yeah, but um they're ultimately able to get it in there. A touchdown to Jacob Hollister, 13-yard touchdown with three minutes left and to go up two scores with just three minutes, taking four and a half minutes off the clock. I I, I just thought that was a huge drive. Yeah, that was textbook. That's exactly what you want. It's one of the reasons that you have balance. The running game is, of course, tactically important, but it also allows you to preserve leads. It helps take some of the stress off your pass defense. And so, yeah, I thought that was a good move. I was a little surprised to see Penny in, in such a high pressure situation, um, but maybe it was turning his turn in the rotation. I don't know exactly how they make that decision internally. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, last year, I think that they took from the way that the team kind of fell apart, you know, and it was so close to seemingly being a real contender. They took from that, that they have to keep these running backs healthy. And while, you know, advanced statistics tend to have the attitude that running backs are nearly fungible. I just don't see that. I think that, um, sometimes the simple simplicity of statistics removes a lot of the important information that you can get from actually watching the game. I like to balance both, but the fact is, is that they do seem like they're kind of protecting him. They seem to have three running backs that they reasonably trust, but they do not trust any one of them to stay healthy. And so they're trying to keep all three of them healthy right. by spreading around touches, even though Carson is clearly head and shoulders better than the other guys. I like Hyde. I think that was great pickup. You can't usually find a three down between the tackles kind of rusher, just essentially for free, free agency. Um, and I liked Penny's potential. I really have no idea where he is right now. Athletically, there's so little that we've seen of him. Um, I don't necessarily like him in that situation because it's definitely when you want a running back who's very reliably going to get you at least a couple yards yeah. because you're constantly trying to give yourself 
an advantageous position uh, to convert the first. And they and so went back to him on more. second down, and and yeah, he, he, I think he got maybe three yards there. But then right after that was the big yeah. third down catch by DK Metcalf, where he got lit up in the middle of the field and a big third down to help keep that going. And then the Hollister touchdown was third down as well. Yeah, I I, I can't say enough about Metcalf. I mean, I guess that I, even I underestimated him a little bit because as, as talented as I, I, I thought he was, and he's sensational, and his speed is is not to be denied. Um, what he has done this year is he's turned into the kind of receiver who can get you the tough yards. And I know I sound like a you know cliche delivered football pundit there, but just the the it's so hard to receive over the middle. And while it's easy to think a big powerful guy like Metcalf is going to be especially able to receive over the middle, that's really not traditionally true because what you need is a guy who cannot get blown up. And the fact is, is, if you're really big, you're a lot of target to smash. And so seeing Metcalf be able to just like drag guys and work through tackles and, and, and have players just bounce middle. off him sometimes and not losing his focus with his catches. He's really improved as a receiver. He has, I think, you know, I was I was not a huge fan of his hands necessarily in his rookie year, but I would say that he has good hands now. And most importantly, he turns those good hands into good receptions and clutch situations. Because the fact is, is sometimes the head and the hands do not connect when there's a ball in flight and there's guys closing in on you and the game's on the line. And just seeing Metcalf just be steely, just seeing him be just so composed and him not seeming to mind that he didn't have that many flashy yards, didn't have that many flashy plays. He was just giving you the game-winning plays. I love it. I mean, the kid is a bona fide superstar at this point. I want him to play 30 years. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's such a treat to just get a guy like that, someone you can believe in, someone that you can have fun just watching. Um and so yeah, I mean that was a that was amazing. I I I think he had low key one of his best games because he didn't blow anybody up and he didn't get behind the defense, but he did what was asked of him and he got a ton of high leverage receptions. Yeah, just six catches, 59 yards on the day, a couple yards short I think of Steve Largent's Single season receiving record, but I think he'll be able to get that with just one catch next week against San Francisco. And that comes down, John, to the number one seed still being in play next week. The Seahawks, they have to beat the 49ers. The Bears, they would have to beat the Packers, which it it seems possible because at least the Bears are fighting for a spot in the playoffs. And then you have to hope for a Panthers win over the Saints, which it feels like that one is maybe the least likely of, of the three outcomes. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take some breaks. And, uh, of course, I, I definitely want them to win the number one seed because having one less win that you have to get, I mean, of course, that's going to greatly improve your probability of winning. But I think Seattle's already, in a lot of ways, accomplished what they need to accomplish because they are a strong, healthy, complete team entering into the playoffs. And there's not going to be nearly the home field advantage. I mean, I don't know if there's even You better even knock any- on wood with that statement, John, because we are going, we're not playing San Francisco in San Francisco. We're playing them in Arizona, which no, you know, I has know, not I been, know. Oh. Not, so knock on the wood. <laughs> well, I mean, heading into the playoffs. I, I, I know that I sh- I'm, not, I'm not counting on anything heading into next week, but just the sense that this is a year where having – having guys of really the right age and right experience level, because when you watch the playoffs, there's definitely a type of guy who's in a certain place in their career who really knows how to break out during the playoffs. They they've adjusted to the speed. They have enough experience. They're at the right place where their skills and their talent are, are just so, uh, and that's so much of what defines the postseason is the team that can have the bust out performances by guys you didn't expect. And Seattle seems to have so many guys, 
are really right where they need to be, who are who are really hitting their stride. And so I think that this is a great year for this team. And I think maybe, you know, not to put all my eggs into one basket, you know, even though I'm always championship or bust, I think that the cool thing too is that you see that you see that gradual growth and you're seeing a new core formed of guys that are really steady and at a right place in their age and their career that you're going to be able to rely on them next year. And so this is great. I mean, I think that's another th- reason that Carroll really deserves recognition because it's hard to build a new great team. It's, right. you know, it, a lot of coaches have stumbled into that first great team, especially when they take over a, a losing franchise that's loaded with draft picks. But to take a team that was winning and to take a team that was not getting really any breaks in the draft because they were always kind of hovering at the edge of contention and to be able to build a, another contender while never sacrificing that drive for contention, that's really impressive. And I think that just more reason for both Schneider and Carroll to just get tons of recognition. This is this is their day. This is the Seahawks day. I think this is all the Seattle Seahawks fans day. This is great. I mean, I know that sometimes I'm a little acetonged and, uh, you know, I have my I have pretty high expectations. I'm willing to be critical. But there's nothing you can take away from today that isn't just like, yes, that was awesome. The team came together. That's what you that's why you get up on Sunday. That's what you want to see. Well, perhaps the one player whose day it was not was Snacks Harrison, who was on the inactive list and asked, apparently, reportedly asked to be released. Pete didn't confirm those reports, but just said that he was disappointed (laughs) that he was inactive ahead of the game. So uh, where do you think the team comes out this week with Snacks Harrison? Well, you know, they might try to manage it. Um, You know, Snacks shouldn't want to be passed over for Monet. But I do it, too, because I think Monet is a better player at this point in their career. I, I've really been impressed what he, with what he's able to do. I think he's one of those guys that uh, you really have to watch line play and all the subtle interactions and see what it what happens when a big, giant dude ties up 50 blockers to know exactly what he's doing because he's not necessarily going to get you the tackles or, yeah. the, or the pressure. Right. But I would have done it, too, and I think that a program always has to stick with their kids, the guys that they promised the role to, and you know that if a guy goes out injured when he's well again, he has a right to get his job back. And so I understand. I think that Pete Carroll has a way of telling people that, hey, this is your opportunity to be great. I want you to be fighting for a position. I want you to be disappointed if we don't have you active. But the flip side, sometimes it results in stuff like this. Of course, social media allows a person to be so impulsive so that if they're frustrated, it instantly becomes a story (laughs) because they say something, you know, impulsive on social media. But I think that Seattle's very well uh, you know, they're, they're really well structured to handle something like this without it becoming anything silly or creating any sort of internal discord. They might just help him move on. You know, it seems like I could see Carol a couple days from now talking about Snacks' great opportunity in wherever. You know what I mean? I sure. do worry because you don't want him to necessarily go to Tampa Bay. And I know that may be where he ends up. Um, but I think that this is I think it's good. I think that he he helped revive his career. I think he'll look back and say it's a good thing, but he can't be happy when he's not playing and a guy who's playing ahead of him that I don't think snacks wants to think is in his league, you know, cause that's kind of the attitude he has to have. Uh, but I think it was the right decision. I don't think that you can play politics with that. You have to, you have to serve the best player and you have to reward people who were there for you and were only out because they were hurt. Uh, yeah, I agree. Mo- if Monet's healthy, he deserves to be back in there. And it kind of feels like a Dwight Freeney type situation. When you go back a yeah. couple of years when Freeney was on the team And yeah, they wanted to keep both of him, but David Moore was potentially going to be picked up from somebody else off of the practice squad. And so they, they couldn't just, they had to bring more up to the active roster. And, and Freeney was just that, you know, the older guy that you knew had no future with the team. 
And unfortunately, just with the numbers and the way that that works with the injuries, it just yeah, if if Monet would have needed a couple more weeks to to get back and be healthy, then that's what Harrison was there for. But yeah, it does feel like uh, and you know what? I wouldn't have any hard feelings toward Harrison if he decides that he would like to go and finish off his career playing somewhere else and doing it in the playoffs. I I would like it to be in Seattle, but, you know, if there's no playtime, I I kind of understand it. Yeah, he has no reason to be loyal. I mean, he's an individual and he's in the middle of his prime and he's going to earn the money that's going to support him the rest of his life. And he has every reason to want to be pushing hard to try to get some kind of contract. And so I have no hard feeling toward him at all. It was cool that he showed up. I thought he was a solid player. Um, I, I like Monet. I think that you've got to invest in that potential. And speaking of Monet, and, and I mentioned Puna, how about the Seahawks' ability to find these undrafted free agents who are starters? And they have always taken this attitude towards the interior line where they do not get a lot of flashy guys, but they get guys who do their job, and it has these ripple effects. And so I think that that's an underestimated part of why that they've been able to create so many good defenses is that they have a real – intuitive sense about what is valuable in a defensive tackle and how it is not properly evaluated by the NFL. And it's not necessarily worth it to get one of these guys early who's got some flashy tape because what you really want is a guy who's got a lot of power and a lot of potential and a lot of size that you can coach up. Oh, well, while we're talking defensive line, how about we give some credit to Alton Robinson, his fourth sack on the season, John, because gosh, you talk about ability to find guys. He was a guy they found in the fifth round. And, you know, to have more sacks than Jadevian Clowney did last season, you know, playing a similar position. Hey, some credit to the rookie. Yeah, I love Alton. Alton's my dog. Uh, I, You know what was so impressive about his sack is that he worked his outside move to go inside. And that's exactly the kind of like he needs to create those uh, those different kind of ways that his pass rush can step. It's almost like a, uh, you know, a route tree where when you have more things you can do, it makes each one of those potential moves effective because if you're just going outside and deep and you're trying to turn the corner every single time, you know, NFL offensive tackles, everyone except the backups for the most part are going to be able to just clear you. Most quarterbacks are not going to be so far back there that there's going to be any chance that you're going to get back into the play. And so seeing him use the fact that he certainly has good speed around the edge, even though he hasn't really perfected that ability to fully turn the corner, but just to set up the tackle and then to go inside and to have that vision. And of course, you know, the quarterback tends to kind of run into sacks a lot. I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's just the way it is. But you create those multiple levels of pass rush. And just seeing him go inside, that ability to to make the tackle get back on their heels, think you're going to go wide and deep, and to go inside, that can help that wide pass rush. And so he is, man, I, I really like this draft class. I think that it is a draft class that is not necessarily going to be defined by any one talent, the way Metcalf defines his draft class, but a whole bunch of dudes who contribute and plug holes and give you some value on on rookie contracts. And I just love it. I don't know exactly what Alton Robinson's potential is. I've always kind of been having fun with it because you just see this guy come out of nowhere and uh, you know that he has some physical gifts, which maybe his draft position didn't necessarily tell you. And you go, how is he going to make his game out of what he's got? And just seeing him develop and seeing him have that knowledge and seeing him add a new move, I just think that it's just so cool. And the, the cool thing is he's here now. And so sometimes we get so fixated on potential with young players, but the fact is, is he's here now and he's doing good stuff now. And he's just one more guy that is not necessarily a top-notch pass rusher or a top-notch anything, but he's got so many above average abilities that any given play, he might flash. And Seattle's got so many guys like that. I mean, 
I think Benson deserves a little credit for smashing Goof's thumb. <laughs> I mean, I know that that's not what we're supposed to say, but the fact is there was nothing illegal about that. I, that's part of the toughness of football. Football is a contact sport. I think that that's one of the differences between hits and hurries is that hurries have hypothetical value, whereas you see the product of hits. And sometimes it's real obvious like that where someone's hand gets smashed. But just in general, you know if a quarterback's been beat up a bit. And uh, and so I just think that you, you've got a, a lot of guys. It's a fun unit. It's so easy to get behind. And it's got that kind of depth where you don't know who's going to show up any given week, but somebody is. Yeah, it's nice to have that depth, especially going into the playoffs here in just a couple weeks. First, they're going to have to get through San Francisco down in Arizona next week. Uh, and yeah. we saw them beat the Cardinals. I don't think this is just going to be an easy walk in the park toward victory here coming up next week. Yeah, Shanahan's a great coach. Um, you know, I, I I declared them a dead team earlier in the year, and it felt like that. You know, uh, it's one of those situations where they have every reason to pack it in because they do not have any realistic chance to do anything. I think there's a lot of guys who probably are mostly worried about getting hurt. And so it is tough, you know, and so it takes good coaching and it takes a good lo- locker room mentality to just keep guys up. But they're going to want to win. And if they end their season on a win, they're going to be able to look back and say, we had a, a ton of bad things happen to us, but we're going to improve in the offseason. We have a team that continues to fight and young talent and good coaching. So they're going to want to win big time. And Seattle's going to have that situation where it may not be obvious that they're playing for anything. But I think that they should I think that they should really show up and play well. And there shouldn't be any sort of letdown. But yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing to there's there's certainly nothing to overlook there. They're a good team. They're a well-coached team. They're going to probably have some success running the ball, even though I really like this run defense. I think that Shanahan always finds some sort of wrinkle to the outside where he just gets a million blockers in front of some tiny sprightly running back. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I, I just don't know that it's, you know, it's I, I don't expect it's going to be a sort of domination. It's not going to be like the Jets. But I, I I think that the Seattle should should go into that and say our playoffs start this week and we're not going to take down our intensity even the tiniest bit. Because we cannot, you know, I know, again, this is, sounds like an awful football pundit, but it, we cannot allow ourselves to to get into the habit of, of playing anything but full speed. Because, you know, some sort of funny, unfortunate screwball loss, and that's how they're going to enter the playoffs. And I think that's going to feel kind of crappy. Yeah. And so I think that they just got to lock in. They got to say, we don't lose another game. We try to win every game by as many points as we can. And uh, it's a good, you know, maybe it's maybe there's something good about the fact that the team they'll face is going to be scrappy and resourceful, and it's not going to give them what they'll probably see in the playoffs, but it's going to give them a million different looks, and it's going to be coming for them. And I hope it keeps them, you know, I keep, I hope it keeps them just fiery, and uh, and that they just want it, you know, and that they don't, they don't feel any sort of uh, because this needs to, this is a team that needs to catch fire. Yeah, that's their path to winning. Uh, they do, they're not super dominant in any one way. They're not going to necessarily be humiliating other teams or anything like that. They've got to be the grinding uh, win in all phases kind of team. And if they are, who knows, man? I mean, who knows? And isn't that a wonderful feeling? Hey, it's always wonderful when you're going to the playoffs. That's what I say every year. Get to the playoffs. See what happens. You never know when your team is going to catch fire. And yes, you you hope that now at, now they finish off at home 7-1 and one on the season. Now they can go down, hopefully get a win against the 49ers, go in with that kind of momentum into the playoffs. John, I really want to thank you for coming on. Do you have anything coming up for field goals this week? Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, You know, I don't know. 
I, I usually I usually have to see the game completely through. You know, I always give myself the luxury of just enjoying the game as a fan. Yeah. Well, playing, I try to, you know, especially with my wife home, I was just hooting and hollering and just having a good time. <laughs> so I don't know exactly. You know, I, I started something on Elton Robinson and with him showing up, I think I'd like to, you know, really celebrate the rookie some more because he's had a heck of a season. Um, and after that, I don't know, you know, it's, it might be it might be something kind of uh, like a curveball. I might actually put a little attention on Russell because I think that a lot of people are going to walk away from this and say that he had a really bad game. I, he did look like he kind of scrambled into some sacks. But I think that if you know where he is and what he's attempting to do and how he's trying to synthesize these two styles of football, uh, I think that you, there's something pretty impressive about what he's doing. And he's really kept his his team in the game. So I might I might give him some love. Um, because I just, you know, I feel like I, I kind of got into the position where I wasn't showing enough recognition. I was picking apart some of his flaws and I just don't like that, you know, especially for a guy so good. And so I might try to give him some love, but I'm not sure I'll have to watch a game again. So I don't know. All right. Well, let's open the air. Look for that fieldgoals.com. Whatever John has coming for you this week. We'll have a lot more as well up there. And we have a new episode of three in three out coming up on Tuesday. So get your ins and your outs to at Clinton Bond on Twitter. Use the hashtag 3I3O and tune right back in here. Fieldgoals.com, SBNation.com slash NFL podcast to subscribe. And I think with that, we'll see you next time. Go Hawks.